Welcome to Health Deep Dive. I'm your host, Selena, and I'm a business and biology student at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. The purpose of this video or podcast is to provide a wholesome overview over the topic of iron deficiency. This video or podcast might be for you if you want to combat your iron deficiency or prevent it. Since our body depends on an optimal supply of oxygen and energy to the cells, an adequate supply of iron is of great importance to everyone. And this episode can help you to understand the topic in greater detail and help you to optimize your iron and oxygen metabolism. Because we all know, knowledge is power, especially when it comes to your health. An audio-only version can be found on Spotify, timestamps can be found in the description, short clips can be found on TikTok, and in a few weeks an ebook which summarizes this video can be found on www.healthdeepdive.com. Links are in the description. Exclaimer. I'm simply accumulating health knowledge from health experts on this topic to my best knowledge. I'm not a doctor and before taking any medical advice, please consult your physician. The content of this video raises no claims to completeness and be aware. By the time you are watching, the knowledge presented can already be outdated. Let's start with the basics. What is iron? Iron is a metal, and an adult human contains about 4 grams of iron, mostly in erythrocytes as hemoglobin or myoglobin. These two proteins are essential for our metabolism, especially for the oxygen transport by blood, oxygen storage in muscles, and in cellular respiration, which means that iron is essential for our energy metabolism. What happens if we are deficient in iron? According to a research paper by Dr. Christian Brunner, iron deficiency is the most common cause of anemia worldwide. Anemia is a condition in which you lack enough healthy red blood cells or hemoglobin to carry adequate oxygen to your body's tissues. The World Health Organization estimates that approximately half of the 1.62 billion cases of anemia worldwide are due to iron deficiency in developing countries. Are iron deficiency and anemia synonyms? Are they the same? No. Iron deficiency can lead to anemia, but you can also have low iron levels and still have standard hemoglobin levels, which means that you have an iron deficiency without anemia. Plus, there are different kinds of anemias, which can be caused by different diseases or deficiencies, like for example B12 deficiency or internal bleeding or inflammation. However, iron deficiency and iron deficiency anemia do share some of the same symptoms. According to Dr. Dominic Rowley from the YouTube channel Let's Get Checked, the following symptoms can occur. Well, the signs and symptoms of iron deficiency anemia really depend on how anemic you are. And that might sound quite obvious. But in the early stages of anemia, you may only have very mild symptoms or signs. For example, you may be pale or somebody may comment on the fact that you're pale. You may feel tired all the time. You might not feel rested after a good night's sleep. Or you might feel cold all the time and, you re and it takes you ages to warm up. That might be signs of having a, a mild anemia. As your anemia gets more severe, um, a, a protein in your blood called hemoglobin drops, or your iron levels drop, and you can develop much more severe symptoms. For example, shortness of breath. You might, you might find that you can't go up the stairs as easily as you could before. You may even develop chest pain, which may be quite frightening, and it might, you might feel like you're having a, um, heart problems. Um, 
you might develop very brittle nails and hair and your hair might thin or fall out. And in very unusual, uh, very unusual cases and rare cases, um, but it is noted with iron deficiency anemia, but particularly severe iron deficiency anemia, you may develop a craving for non-food substances. So you may have a really strong desire to eat coal, would you believe, or ice, or even sand or gravel. Some other research like this paper from Benjamin Trost suggests that hair loss could also be a potential symptom of iron deficiency, while others do not support this claim. According to Dr. Gary Lichtenstein, iron deficiency can also cause symptoms like restless leg syndrome. However, it should be considered that none of these symptoms are a must and highly individual. Some people might experience them with higher iron levels, some with lower. Although Dr. Gary Lichtenstein does research on iron deficiency in patients with inflammatory bowel disease, the diagnosis of iron deficiency is the same. In the next clip, he is going to explain how iron deficiency is identified and separated from anemia. When we look at different stages of anemia, we have normal individuals, then we have those that have iron depletion, iron-deficient erythropoiesis, and then finally iron deficiency with anemia. And there's different stages of anemia based on WHO standards. And I'll go through the definition shortly, what I mean when I'm saying anemia based upon this. So with iron depletion, the serum ferritin is the first thing to go down. And patients may complain of dyspnea with walking upstairs or with exertion as a common symptom that they have with this. Iron-deficient erythropoiesis is when you have the ferritin goes down, the serum iron and transferrin saturation go down, and the MCV goes down as well, but your hemoglobin is normal yet. So you're in iron-deficient erythropoiesis, and you can have these factors directly. And the final stage is when you get the absolute anemia with the iron deficiency, and your hemoglobin drops. So once again, this is easier to recognize, and still, they require supplementation regardless of the stage you're in. And we'll talk about oral versus parenteral therapy when it's appropriate. So WHO standards. Men and women have different levels, if you would, because menstruation is associated with women. And non-pregnant women, a level less than 12 is considered to be anemia. For men, the definition is 13 grams uh, directly per deciliter. And then there's mild, moderate, and severe. And moderate is a hemoglobin in the non-pregnant woman of 8 to 10.9. Pregnant women are about a gram lower, so it's 7 to 9.9. And men, 8 to 10.9. So severe anemia, hemoglobin of 7 to 8. And these patients have significant impairment when it comes to their quality of life. Okay, but let's take a look at these blood levels again. What are they and what do they mean? Ferritin is a protein that stores iron. Plasma ferritin is an indirect marker of the total amount of iron stored in the body. TSAT stands for transferrin saturation. Transferrin is the main protein that binds iron in the blood. This means it regulates the absorption of iron into the blood. This value tells you how much serum iron is bound. For instance, a value of 20% means that 20% of iron-binding signs of transferrin are being occupied by iron, 
A low transferrin saturation is a common indicator of iron deficiency anemia, whereas a high transferrin saturation may indicate iron overload or hemochromatosis. TIBC. TIBC relates to the amount of transferrin in your blood that's available to attach to iron. MCV stands for mean cell volume and is a measure of the average volume of a red blood cell. Sometimes also the hematocrit is checked, which is the percentage of red blood cells in the total blood volume. But when does iron deficiency actually occur? Yeah. Well, we can break the causes up into, I suppose, three different kind of headings. So the first heading that I'll talk about is an insufficient intake. So it is what it sounds like. So you're not taking in enough iron in your diet. And that can be very commonly found in people who are vegetarian or particularly vegans. So iron is found in large quantities in red meat and dark leafy vegetables. And it's important to remember that when you boil your ve dark vegetables, you lose a good a proportion of iron. So it's always better to steam your vegetables if you want to uh, increase your iron intake. So that's the first category of re uh, reasons why people might be iron deficiency anemia. So a lack of intake. We are going to talk about uh, the intake and the diet shortly in more depth. The second reason why people might suffer from iron deficiency anemia is an increased loss of blood or an increased loss of iron th uh, from the body and that's normally through bleeding. So how do we bleed or why, what, what kind of conditions would cause excessive bleeding? Well in women very heavy periods would be the most common cause of iron deficiency anemia. There's also other types of um, gynecological problems in women that will lead to in an increased bleeding, for example, endometriosis, where there's an increased lining or thickening of the uh, lining of the womb. Then there are conditions, for example, um, from the bowel that will cause increased blood loss. For example, very severe hemorrhoids. Most of the time, piles or hemorrhoids wouldn't cause enough bleeding to cause iron deficiency anemia, but in severe cases, they can. But colon cancer or bowel cancer or colorectal cancer is another very, very common cause of having uh, iron deficiency anemia. So there'd be some examples of increased loss of iron from the body. So we've talked about uh, a loss, uh, not taking in enough iron, we've talked about losing too much iron, and then the third kind of title or third heading would be an inability to absorb iron. So you're taking in enough iron and you're not losing iron, but you're not, your body isn't using the iron that you're taking in. So some conditions that can cause this would be if you have any generally bowel conditions like celiac disease or any malabsorption syndromes, for example, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's disease or colitis, or indeed if you've had a bi gastric bypass surgery or bi a gastric sleeve for weight loss, these can be some reasons why you're taking in enough iron and you're not losing any excess of blood, but your body can't use the iron that you're taking in. Another risk factor for developing iron deficiency is pregnancy. During pregnancy, the need for iron has generally increased. If this fact is not taken into account and iron deficiency develops, it also affects the fetus. Research, for example, a study by Lindsay Allen, shows that in mothers with iron deficiency anemia, the fetus development in the womb is slowed down, which can later be reflected in the mental ability and the size of the child. Therefore, babies who are not sufficiently supplied with all nutrients and trace elements during pregnancy are usually smaller at birth. According to Dr. Gary Lichtenstein, another risk factor to develop iron deficiency as seen before is inflammatory bowel disease or in general high inflammation in the body. To understand this better, let's take a look at how iron is actually absorbed in the body. 
So you may say, I forget how iron is absorbed and what goes on. I'm just going to review that to go over the basics. So you have one to two milligrams uh, a day that is absorbed in the duodenum after taking in, say, anywhere from uh, approximately 18 milligrams a day. So it's a relatively small amount that is taken in. This then gets absorbed. It goes into the plasma in the form of transferrin, and it may go to the muscle or the skeletal system, but most of it goes to the skeletal system uh, directly. You have circulating erythrocytes, hemoglobin that come about from the skeletal system, and it's then circulating, but gets degraded. The reticuloendothelial system, the macrophages, etc., may degrade this, and the liver as well is involved in its metabolism of the production of transferrin. So this cycle is important, and when you have someone that has active inflammation, you get blocks in certain areas, as is illustrated by the red bars. Iron absorption goes down, and we'll talk about the mechanism for that directly. And then also, the RE system is not necessarily as active. So these are things that lead to less iron available to the body. And then hepcidin. So this is an agent, hepcidin is a chemical in the body, if you would, that's produced in the liver, and it mediates the uptake of iron. And this is illustrated in this cartoon. So what happens is the yellow is the epithelial cell directly that one might see in this small bowel, such as the duodenum or proximal jejunum. And iron is taken in orally, absorbed, and it goes through a transport protein. The transport protein is illustrated here, and this is ferroportin. And this is associated with uh, the transport through the enterocyte into the bloodstream. What happens is, in states of active inflammation, uh, hepcidin is escalated. Hepcidin blocks ferroportin and leads to its degradation, and hence the iron cannot be taken up through the enterocyte. So the iron absorption is impaired, and you have subsequent development of iron deficiency directly. So we saw inflammation, and therefore hepcidin can block iron absorption. In addition, certain conditions or medicines can decrease a body's ability to absorb iron and lead to iron deficiency. According to the U.S. Heart, Lung and Blood Institute, these conditions include intestinal and digestive conditions, such as celiac disease, Crohn's disease and heliobacter infection, and surgery on your stomach and intestines, including weight loss surgery. Certain rare genetic conditions, like a mutation in the gene which codes for hepcidin, can also be a reason for iron deficiency anemia. Later on, we're also going to talk about what we can do to optimize our iron absorption to fight or to prevent iron deficiency. But first, let's take a look at how much iron do we actually need. The following intake recommendations for iron are provided by the Food and Nutrition Board at the Institute of Medicine of the National Academies. In this table, we can see that intake recommendations vary depending on age and gender. The recommended intake for adults from 19 to 50 is 5 mg for males and 18 mg for females 
27 milligrams are recommended for pregnant women and 10 extra milligrams are recommended for breastfeeding mothers. However, those recommendations can vary depending on how active a person is and of course depending on their body's ability to absorb the iron. Other sources also state that teenagers and children might have increased iron requirements during periods of growth. But generally speaking, how can we get those 8, 18, 27 milligrams? Another question I'm going to talk later about is how do we get enough without getting too much? We will also talk about iron overload later in the podcast. But first, how can we meet our daily requirements? Where can iron be found? Well, there are two main forms of dietary iron, heme and non-heme. Plants and iron-fortified foods contain non-heme iron only, whereas meat, seafood and poultry contain both heme and non-heme iron. Heme iron has a higher bioavailability than non-heme iron. But what does bioavailability mean? Bioavailability in this case describes the fraction of iron that is actually used by our metabolism for its processes. For example, if iron is giving intravenously, its bioavailability is nearly 100% because it enters our system without any barriers like the gut. Heme iron has higher bioavailability than non-heme iron, so a higher percentage of heme iron can be used by our body. We also need to consider that some foods hinder iron absorption while others benefit it. Overall, studies show that dietary components which hinder iron absorption have less effect on the bioavailability of heme iron than non-heme iron. The bioavailability of iron is approximately 14-18% to from mixed diets that include amounts of meat, seafood and vitamin C. Vitamin C enhances the bioavailability of non-heme iron too. In contrast, the bioavailability of iron, of non-heme iron, is 5-12% to from vegetarian diets. In addition to vitamin C, meat, poultry and seafood can enhance non-heme iron absorption. This means if you combine a plant iron source with an animal iron source or vitamin C, the iron of the plant food can be better absorbed by the body. In the following table we can see foods that are rich in vitamin C, like for example guavas, uh, sweet red peppers, tomatoes, oranges, lemons, strawberries, papayas, all of them are rich in vitamin C. Here uh, we have another list uh, with foods that are rich in iron. Um, According to the nutrition series of British Columbia in 2022, this is a list of iron-rich foods. The link can also be found in the description. Um, Foods rich in heme iron are liver, oysters, clams, lamb, beef. And foods with non-heme iron are um, cereal, soybeans, beans, lentils, seeds, nuts, um, greafy, uh, leafy greens, I mean. Yeah. Even though heme iron has a higher bioavailability, it isn't necessarily the better option. A meta-analysis in 2011 by Nadia Bastide, which included over 500,000 individuals, shows that heme iron from meat increases the risk of colorectal cancer. So we should keep in mind that heme iron does not seem to be the healthiest solution for iron deficiency in general. 
following on from this, I also want to talk about other foods which affect iron absorption. Let's talk about calcium. A study in 1991 showed that giving humans 165 milligrams of calcium as milk or cheese can reduce iron absorption by 50 to 60 percent. So it is advisable that you don't mix your iron and calcium. Also, when you take supplements or a multivitamin which contains calcium in combination with iron, that's not really doesn't seem to be the most effective. Another food substance to be aware of are phytates. Phytates are present in grains and beans, and they can decrease the absorption of iron, zinc, magnesium, and calcium. Also, polyphenols inhibit iron absorption. They are compounds that we get through certain plant-based foods. They are usually known for their high level of antioxidants. They can be found in green or black tea, peppermint, chamomile, red wine, artichokes, hazelnuts, cloves, cacao, and beans. So, so it appears to be recommendable that you don't drink green, black, peppermint, chamomile tea with your food. Um, in general, this shows that some plant-based foods that are good sources of iron, such as spinach, have low iron bioavailability because they obtain iron absorption inhibitors, such as polyphenols or phytates. So let's take a look at how we can boost iron absorption. Alternative medicine suggests that you clean your gut to guarantee a functional intestinal mucous membrane, which can absorb the iron better. This gut cleaning is usually done by doing some kind of detox, where you eat healthy and consume a lot of fiber to clean out your gut. Another point is that you can try to reduce inflammation in the gut by mostly consuming whole food plant foods. But what if all of these things are not enough? What if you are already deficient in iron or your diet does not cover your iron intake? Well, there are many kinds of treatments. We will take a brief look at supplements and iron infusions. Usually, at first, supplements with ferrous or iron sulfate are prescribed. And they also seem to work well in most people. However, they can have potential side effects like gastric distress, nausea, or constipation. The Mayo Clinic recommends to take iron supplements on an empty stomach if they don't upset your stomach for better absorption. Further, they recommend not to take iron with antacids. This means that medications that immediately relieve heartburn, for example, can interfere with the absorption of iron. Take iron two hours before or four hours after you take antacids. To reduce side effects, alternative medicines suggest chelated forms of iron, which means that the iron is bound to an amino acid, which makes it easier to digest. A small study from 2014 also suggests that chelated iron has a longer-lasting effect on iron levels than non-chelated iron does. Alternative medicine also suggests iron from natural sources like curry powder extracts. The natural supplements usually have lower dosages of iron, but have less side effects and usually they also have some vitamin C mixed in for higher absorption. We have seen the benefits of vitamin C before. Another thing that has been shown in a study by Rushton is that L-lysine helped increase iron levels when taken with an iron supplement. 
L-lysine is an essential amino acid. This means the body needs it but cannot make it himself. So it has to be acquired. Actually, I can tell a personal story about that. Um, I have been taking a lot of iron supplements in the past because I'm, I was iron deficient. And um, a couple of months ago, I uh, tried to take L-lysine, but I didn't supplement any iron anymore. And my iron levels actually went up without even supplementing iron, just because the L-lysine helped with iron absorption. Um, well, at least this, this worked for me. I, I can't speak for anyone else. Um, so um, I think it could be an interesting tip if you have already tried uh, supplementing before and it didn't work. But of course, please consult your physician before uh, you try anything. And uh, this was just my experience. Also, if you don't like any kind of pills... You can also consume powders and smoothies like, for example, chlorella, spirulina, or wheatgrass powder. However, compared to iron pills, they contain much less iron. A pretty common procedure nowadays are iron infusions. Iron infusions are a procedure in which iron is delivered to your body intravenously, meaning into a vein through a needle. There are also iron injections, but um, iron injections involve injecting iron into a muscle with a needle, which can have side effects like intramuscular bleeding or orange discoloration. And because of these possible complications, doctors often favor iron infusions over iron injections. Research shows that iron infusions are a way to increase the body's iron levels quickly. It's a more immediate treatment than supplements or dietary changes. This can be very helpful in situations where anemia is severe. There are multiple iron infusion products on the market with different doses. One dose can vary from 100 mg of iron per infusion to 500 mg of iron depending on how low the ferritin and or hemoglobin of the patient is, the doctor decides on how much iron they will give you. However, it has been shown that a slow infusion rate can help prevent complications. Therefore, more infusions with lower dosage reduce side effects. According to the Cleveland Clinic, iron infusions seem to be tolerated well. However, there can be side effects like bloating or swelling of the face, arms, hands, legs or feet, dizziness, faintness or lightheadedness when getting up, gastrointestinal pains, including nausea and cramps, problems with breathing, skin problems, including rash, chest pain, low blood pressure, and of course anaphylaxis, which is a severe reaction that can include difficulty breathing, itching, or a rash over the entire body. Um, I had three iron infusions in my past and they did raise my ferritin levels uh, quite a lot. Uh, once I had a 500 milligrams infusion, which uh, was too much for me, my ferritin was pretty low. It was, um, it had a value of eight and uh, they said that 20 or 30 is normal. So, um, 
yeah, I, I had an iron infusion, 500 milligrams. But uh, I had nausea for a couple of days and uh, my face swole uh, for, for a couple of weeks, two months actually. I had a very kind of dehydrated looking face and um, yeah, I can insert some pictures. And um, after a year with no supplements whatsoever, I, my, my face got normal again. So yeah, this is just my experience. Um, after that, I had two more iron infusions, one with 100 milligrams and one with 50 milligrams, and I didn't have any side effects from that. But the thing is just um, the dosage, I think, is important, at least for me. I think it was important, but um, I'm not a doctor, and before you try to do anything, uh, you should, of course, consult your physician. So now that we have seen all the different ways in which you can supplement and boost your iron levels, let's talk about having too much iron. Some groups are at risk of obtaining excess iron. For example, individuals with hereditary hemochromatosis. This is a disease which predisposes them to absorb excessive amounts of dietary iron and therefore they have an increased risk of iron overload. One study suggests that elderly people are more likely to have chronic positive iron balance and elevated total body iron than iron deficiency. However, the authors did not assess genotypes, so they could not determine whether these results were due to hemochromatosis. Research shows that iron is easily accumulated when exogenous iron is loaded by hereditary factors, repeated transfusions, and other disease conditions. Well, in general, you should be careful about getting too much iron because, as we see, um, too much iron is, is not healthy. Another, another problem is that unnaturally high iron content can lead to inhibition of zinc absorption because the two elements are competitors in transport into the cells. However, humans and especially children need zinc and iron in a natural ratio in order to develop properly. Another concern is raised in the following clip by Dr. David Sinclair, who is a professor at Harvard University in the field of longevity. Mm. Well, the, this is new finding, uh, a new finding out of Spain. Manuel Serrano's lab has found that uh, excess iron will increase the number of senescent cells in the body. Uh, and senescent cells are these zombie cells that accumulate as you get older and they sit there and they cause inflammation mainly and also can cause cancer. Uh, and it's found that if you get rid of these cells or never accumulate them, um, you stay younger. Uh, in, in animals, and there's a, some really interesting studies out of Mayo Clinic in humans as well. So iron is a pro-senescent um, metal. And so what I think is that if you're taking excess iron as a supplement, you're probably accelerating your aging process. The other thing that I found really interesting is I've, I've looked at hundreds of thousands of people's metabolism and their blood biomarkers. Um, I was one of the first people in Inside Tracker as a board member, and I'm still their scientific um, lead guy. So I, I can look anonymously at hundreds of thousands of people's blood work. And we also know how fit they are, how old they are, um, some of them are marathon runners, some of them are, are 
CrossFit. And there's a signature of health that actually is different than your average person. Now, I'm not going to say bad things about MDs because a lot of my best friends are MDs and I work with them at Harvard Medical School. The issue though is that with MD training, it's there's a scale of what's normal. And if you're out of that normal range, something must be wrong. That's the paradigm that they work under. But first of all, everybody's different and you want to know their baseline and track people over years to know what's normal for them. And what I find, for example, is people who are really healthy and live the way I do and have a diet that's um, fairly vegetarian, but not strict, uh, still have slightly low hemoglobin levels, slightly low iron, slightly low ferritin, but we have super amounts of energy. We're not anemic and we're getting along with great in life. But a, a doctor who just looks at that might say, oh, we need to give you more iron. All right. So what I'm getting at is an, an example of we need to personalize medicine and look at people over the long run to know what works for them and what's healthy for, for them. And not just work towards the average human, but work towards what's optimal for human. Generally, it is not recommended to diagnose and treat iron deficiency anemia all by yourself. You could end up with too much iron in your blood, which can cause other health conditions. If you think you might be iron deficient, you should definitely get checked out. Thank you very much for listening. Have a nice day.